the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I was having a wonderful prayer time with a couple this morning that is going through some real struggles and, and trials. Um, verse 2 came to mind, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. No matter what you and I go through in life, what we know, the truth of God's word trumps what we're feeling in everyday life. Amen? Because we can rest on the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And all of God's people said, amen. Now, before you're seated, would you take a minute just to greet someone? And I want to remind you of, of one thing. we got some visitors here this morning. And sometimes one of the best things that we can do is give a friendly word of greeting and welcome them. So take a minute.
Greet someone around you. Make them feel welcome. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Um, I'm doing the announcements. I'm Steve Stout, chairman of the mission committee. And uh, so we want to go over some of these announcements. Uh, Financial Peace University is one of the classes we're having. This is the last Sunday that we can sign up for that. So if you're interested in trying to keep your finances in order, plug into that one. Okay, the other big thing that's happening, when I say big, this is really big. Remember, I don't know if younger ones don't remember Ed Sullivan. It's the really big shoe. <laughs> Anyhow, the Mission Connection is going to be at Crossroads uh, Friday, Friday night and all day Saturday. In our bulletin here, where it says coming up in January, it says Thursday and Friday. That's, it's not Thursday and Friday, it's Saturday and Sunday. And... Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Friday, Saturday, okay. Uh, but, it, but in the flyer here, it, it does say it starts at 5.30 at Crossroads. And um, this is something that you don't want to miss. This, it's hard to describe how big this is, but there's 125 different workshops that will be going on. They're going to have 100 speakers there. They're doing the workshops. They're going to have three keynote speakers. Um, they're going to have uh, all kinds of, of different uh, booths set up, about 90 different booths from colleges to mission organizations. Um, this is a wonderful thing to, to attend. And uh, I'll just read some of the workshops that they're going to be having there. You think, well, you know, that's missions, that's a good thing, but I'm not that involved in it. Some of the workshops they're going to have is creating art to tell God's story from your heart. Woodworking for the hands and the heart. I mean, it's just, there's more than just regular stuff, but there is all kinds of stuff. Tough college and witnessing philosophical questions. These are people that are experts in their field. They're going to be there to give their time for all of us. So take advantage of it. It's five miles away from here. It's just, it's, I can't emphasize it enough. This is going to be a wonderful event. And Rabbi Zacharias will be the keynote speaker. There's a couple other speakers there. Um, we have some missionaries here. Landis Epp, he's one of our missionaries. We support him. 
And uh, so there are a lot of people here in our congregation that are involved in missions. We have Erin uh, Reddington. She's with, let me, Frontline Ministries. There's Erin. Um, Evans, why don't you stand up, Landis? Laura and Rob Evans, they're going to be working the WEC booth there. Um, Tasha Irwin, I don't know if she's here. She just got back from a, a two-month short-term missions. And Ruth, where's Ruth? Ruth is going to Africa in uh, July or, or uh, August. So we have a lot of people right here in our church, in our community, that are involved in missions. So I want to encourage you all to take advantage of that. It's all free. All you have to do is show up. So, okay. Thank you, Steve. So remember, this Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, beginning 5.30 Friday afternoon, Crossroads Community Church, 9.30 on Saturday. Thank you, Steve. Um, you want to get to know this guy. He's awesome if you don't. So uh, anyways, would you stand as we, uh, as we continue in worship? Busy week, huh? I'd like us just take, take a moment just to quiet our hearts and our minds as we continue in worship this morning, just to shut the hecticness of the week that has just passed us by. Put those things on our to-do list, the week yet to come, aside, and just focus on our Lord and Savior right now. So just in this moment of silence, just take time to quiet your hearts and minds before our Lord. people of the risen king come people of the risen king who delight to bring him praise come all and tune your hearts to sing to the morning star of grace Come shifting shadows of the earth, we will lift our eyes to him. Where steady arms of mercy reach to gather children in. Rejoice, rejoice, let every tongue rejoice. One heart, one voice. O Church of Christ, rejoice. Come those whose joy is morning sun and those weeping through the night. Come those who tell of battles won and those struggling in the fight. For his perfect love will never change, and his mercies never cease. But follow us through all our days, a certain hope of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, 
Let every tongue rejoice, one heart, one voice, O Church of Christ, rejoice. Come young and old from every land, men and women of the faith. Come those with full or empty hands, find the riches of His grace. Over all the world His people sing, shore to shore we hear them call. The truth that Christ through every age, our God is all in all. Rejoice, rejoice, let every tongue rejoice, one heart, one voice, O Church of Christ, rejoice, 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 let every tongue rejoice, one heart, one voice, O Church of Christ, Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. And everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures, and fill my life again. I give my life to follow and everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. 
He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. He's my Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. You know, we just sang that, that, that verse of mighty to save. I give my life to follow everything I believe in, to surrender, to surrender all for the sake of the call. Amen? Pastor is going to be preaching out of Philippians 3 this morning and, and, and the, how you and I are challenged. We're compelled because of what Christ has done for us to surrender all. For the sake of the kingdom, for his glory, for, for his renown, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But for some of us, as in this next song that we're going to sing, take my life and let it be. I love, I love how the composer of this hymn takes us through the different things in our life that often would keep us from this call. Often would tempt us to not quite abandon it all. For some, it may be those moments in our days. You get so busy. Verse 2, take my hands, take my feet. Let them be swift and beautiful. Not for the job that we have, the work that we go to, the school we attend. But all for thee, Lord Jesus, all for thee. Take my voice, let me sing. Take my lips, let them be filled with messages from thee. Verse 4, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite, not a mite would I withhold. For others, the difficulty may lie with, with, with the will. Take my will, make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. So I'm going to ask Jim and, and, and Eric to play through the verse one time. And, and I, want, I want you in your own heart and in your own mind just, just meditate. And think about what it would be that the Lord would ask us to give up for the sake of the call, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise let them flow in endless praise take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love and take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing And always only for my King And take my lips and let them be Filled with messages for Thee Filled with messages from Thee. And take my silver and my gold, and not a might would I withhold. And take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Every power as thou shalt choose. And take my will and Make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thy own, and it shall be thy royal throne. And it shall be thy royal throne. And take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. And take myself and I will be ever only all for thee and ever only all for thee and ever only all for thee
I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I will behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me. I will follow, no turning back, no turning back, no turning back, no turning back. Lord, I just pray that in each, each and every one of our hearts, Lord, that you would help to grow deep inside each one of us this passion this longing, this desire, Lord, to abandon it all for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be times, Lord, where no one will, will follow us, but still we choose the cross. The life that is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, that's the desire, Lord, of our hearts. In all things, Lord, we give you praise, we give you thanks, we give you glory to that one whose name is above all names, our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. You may be seated, and we're going to ask that if the kids could come up at this time. Pastor Bob is going to share with you guys. So kids, make your way forward, would you? kids and I came up too. Does that mean I'm a kid? All right. We're going to do something special today a little later in the service. And I think it has something to do why there's this crowd of people stuffed into these front rows over here. Do you know what we're going to do later in the service? Not only, but your brother is being baptized. We're, we're having two baptisms this morning, right in the middle of the service. Now, I wanted to talk about this morning then, what do we do and why do we do this thing we call baptism. Why do we do that? The word means to immerse. And what we do is we dunk them in water, right? I mean, just, just, just to describe it very plainly. They, they, so there's two things that happen. This is very important, by the way. There are two things that happen when a person is baptized. Do you know what those two things are? What's one of them? Yeah? Okay, they're baptized because Jesus has taken away their sin. But we do something right up here, right, right, right behind us here. There's two things we do, yeah? 
Okay. Okay. By doing this, they declare their faith in Christ. That's right. There's two things we do, though. Let, let, let me make it easier. First of all, we put somebody under the water. Right? That's step one in baptism. We, we, we learn this in pastor school. They say the first thing you do when you baptize somebody is you put them under the water. Okay? Well, you do. You do. You put, I've done it several times. Okay? I might get a chance with you someday. You be careful now. Okay? I'm going to put you under the water. Now, why do I do that? There's a reason, and some of you are getting to the reason. We go under the water. Can a person breathe under the water? No. You might see some bubbles come up. Boop, boop, boop. But they can't breathe under there. Going under the water is like, be careful here, it's like being buried. And that's for somebody who has died. When we go, take, when somebody in baptism goes underwater, they are saying, Jesus' death is for me too. Jesus' death is my death. He died for my sin. Okay? So it's very important that, the, that I declare Jesus' death is for mine. I am buried with Jesus in baptism. You'll hear that today. Listen for it, okay? Buried with Jesus in baptism, they go under the water. That's, that's the first thing they do, okay? Then what's the second thing they do? I said there's always two things in a baptism. What's the second thing, yeah? I hope so. They come back up. You know, every baptism I've done, I've done it that way. I always put them down. Sometimes I wait a little while. But then I always bring them back up. Because the second part of baptism, baptism is declaring, first of all, my faith in Jesus' death for my sin. It's also declaring my faith in Jesus to live in his new resurrection life. Jesus was buried, wasn't he? But did Jesus stay buried? No, he rose again. And everyone who believes in him not only shares in his death, but we share in his new life, his resurrection life. So as a Christian, I believe in Jesus who died for me, I also believe in Jesus who helps me live a new life. That's why we always bring them back up, okay? So, if ever you are baptized, you remember there, sh there should be two things that happen. What are the two things that happen? You should go underwater. That's right, because Jesus died for you. What's the other thing that better happen? You better come back up out of the water, raised out of that water to live in Jesus' new life, okay? So watch for those two things and see if it happens with both these two that we baptize later, okay? So go on back to your parents, and we're going to start off this morning with a short video. In 1904, William Borden decided that because he had become a follower of Jesus, he had also become a missionary. Specific to William's own calling as a missionary was his felt need to reach the Muslim population of China. When those closest to him accused him of throwing his life away, William wrote two words in the back of the card. No results. up high-profile careers and scorned his family fortune, he added another two words, no retreats. 
On December 17, 1912, William Borden set sail for Egypt on his way to China. He would die on his way. After William's death, his parents were given his Bible. It was then they discovered the two phrases that had become his creeds. Dated just prior to William's death, however, was the third and final phrase. No regret. Most of us will not travel to China or Africa or Haiti, but every follower of Jesus is called to be a missionary. You have been crafted with unique gifts and abilities in order to impact the world for Jesus, at home or on the other side of the world. There are so many ways, locally and globally, that each of us can contribute to the mission of Jesus. It's simply a matter of finding out mentioned Missions Connection coming up, the conference next Friday and Friday evening and Saturday, and in the midst of Mission Connection, uh, well, I want to talk about a couple of missionaries, a tale of two missionaries this morning, in fact. Uh, those two missionaries are William Borden and the Apostle Paul, who will be in Philippians chapter 3. But I don't want you to get the wrong idea as we, as we go there, a tale of two missionaries, because really what I have to say today as they pointed out in the video, most of us will not go to China. Most of us will not go to the Middle East. Most of us will not go these places far afield on mission. But all of us are on mission. All of us are, have been called into Christ's mission. And for many of us, that's right around us. And what we'll talk about today, this tale of two missionaries, are, are, are three, three important principles that marked Borden's short life, marked Paul's life as well, as you'll see, and we will best glorify Christ if these three also mark my life, mark your life. Things not so much to do with a mission far away as, as our mission right here. But and getting started, let me, let me review just a little bit. Let me talk a little bit about this man named William Borden. William Borden was born into the Borden family, well, that makes sense, in November 1st, 1887. 1887, that's more than 100 years ago. Now, who were the Bordens? They were one of the wealthiest families in Chicago. They were one of the wealthiest families in the country. They, his father was a millionaire at a time when there were no billionaires. Okay. Now, where did the Bordens get all their money? From milk. They, 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 things really begin to go for them when they were selling canned, condensed milk to the Union armies during the Civil War. There was a real market for it, and they made money. But it really took off when, they, uh, when his father was the first one to deliver milk door-to-door -door in glass bottles. Now, some of you may remember that. I do not. But it happened, I'm told. Such a simple idea. But sometimes some of the simplest ideas are actually the most valuable, aren't they? Simplest things, easily overlooked, and yet the most valuable. And so 
bottles of milk door to door. The Bordens were wealthy. The, 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 fam the family company continued. Uh, other things they were the first at was instant coffee and instant creamer. Anybody heard of Cremora? The uh, Cracker Jacks, another one of the common Borden brands. I don't think the, the brand is that active today, but in William's day, he was born into a wealthy family. Well, he had a, he had a, a good, solid childhood, actually um, very active in sports. His mother, when, when he was seven years old, they were a church-going family. They were a, a good, solid family, but, but when he was seven years old, his mother was born again. She had gone to church, but now she was born again, personal faith in Christ as her own Savior. She transferred her church membership to the Chicago Avenue Church, which is now known as Moody Church in Chicago. And uh, a man named R.A. Torrey had just become the pastor there. And so that was the teaching and the preaching that young William was under. And within a couple of years, he also, the, her faith, mother's faith infected the family, but especially young William. Within a couple of years, he also confessed Christ as his Savior, was baptized. And as he grew up, surprisingly for such a wealthy family, he had a pretty normal and active upbringing. Um, he graduated high school when he was 17 years old, not at all surprising, but his parents gave him a gift of an around-the-world around trip with a friend. Wouldn't that be fun? Put that on your graduation list, huh? And he's going, he's going around the world. He's traveling with a young man named William Erdman, who's in the employ of, of, of his parents, uh, a suitable companion for the journey. And the, his father wanted him to see something of the world before he started college, to know something more about the bigger world and what he should do with his life that would make a difference. And so as he traveled, he sent back like 94 postcards. This time when postcards weren't so common yet. He sent back a whole pile of postcards we still have well, I don't, but they're still out there. They're still available. I, I want to share a couple of them with you. Give you an example of uh, this. This was a, a monk, a picture of a monk he saw in Tibet. Now, what's interesting is the, the, the little hand drum that he's holding, that's made from two human skulls. Ooh. Okay, next one. He, he traveled on. They started from San Francisco. They went to the Orient, got to, uh, got to China, and there was this one grand temple, the Temple of, of the 500 Buddha. So there's uh, some of them. There's only about uh, 30 of them there. There's a bunch more. So he saw, he saw the, 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 all these temples and yet this spiritual darkness. He was really impacted in India, in China, but also in India. In India, he, he saw a grand mosque this beautiful sandstone, red sandstone mosque, and the thousands of Muslims who would gather there in prayer. Thousands who would gather in prayer, but who did not know Christ. And this trip around the world made an impact, made an impact on William. And by the time he was wrapping up the year-long trip in London, he'd come to the conclusion that God was calling him to devote his life to foreign missions. He wrote home to his mother and others that he saw no other course. This is where God was directing him. One of his friends wrote back and said, I'm afraid you are throwing your life away. You're going to waste your life. You have so much potential. He received that letter, received that criticism, and it wasn't from that one friend alone. Many people would think that. We received that letter, and he wrote in the back of his Bible. You know how sometimes you have a couple of blank pages back there, and you, you write some notes, things you want to remember? He, write, he wrote there in the back of his Bible, receiving that note from his friend, no reserves. 
No reserves. I'm not going to hold anything back. Perhaps he had Philippians chapter 3 in mind. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4 as he wrote that. He said, it says, if anyone thinks he, have, he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, confidence in his humanity, confidence in his family background and upbringing, William Borden could. The Apostle Paul could. And he describes some of that. I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, for zeal, persecuting the church, for legalistic righteousness, faultless. I dotted my I's, I crossed my T's, I had it all together. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What, what is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. He said, no reserves. I hold nothing back. No reserves, first of all, in what I trust in. What do I trust in to matter and make a difference? What do I trust in in order to, to uh, be accepted by God? For God to look at my life and be pleased, what will I trust in? Nothing in myself. What will I trust in for my security? What will I trust in to provide for me? He said, I will, I will hold none of that in reserve. Now, I'm a, I'm a bit of a saver. I'm a bit of a hoarder. I, I like to stash something aside and have something ready in reserve. Borden said, no. Now you say, oh, well, yeah, he had millions. Easy for him to say. He's a rich kid. Well, stick with me here. But what is it that we hold back? What do we hold back for, for our own comfort, for our own happiness, a little bit here, a little time there. Maybe it's, maybe it's holding back what I will say or what I will do because I don't want to be a spectacle. I don't want my friends to think that I'm ridiculous. I don't want to be the one who's the, who's the circle of, who's the cause of conversations and Facebook posts. What are other gonna, people going to think? What will I hold back in reserve? And there's three kinds of friends. Good for us to remember this. There's three kinds of friends. There are those friends who will encourage you in your pursuit of Christ. There are those friends who you will pursue for Christ. There are people around us that we care about and we will pursue that they might also know the joy that we know. There are also those friends that will distract you or discourage you from your pursuit of Christ. Be careful that you are the one who's pursuing and you're not rather being distracted or chased away instead. While Borden was in, in, in college, he was, he, was, he was dismayed. He noted that, that the, um, how, how few of his professors took the Bible very seriously, how few of them actually believed the Bible at Yale by that time. He was disappointed as well in how few of his peers actually followed it. He began meeting with one of his friends for, for some time in the Word and prayer together each morning. They invited a couple more friends. They began to form other groups, in fact. By the end of his freshman year, this is a man, he's thinking that he's headed to the foreign field, right? But it doesn't wait till then. It doesn't start in China. By the end of his freshman year, 150 other freshmen are gathering in groups like this each morning or in the midst of the week for time in the Word together, 
and in prayer for one another and for others. They, they begin to pray for their classmates. They divided up the class list, in fact. I'll pray for this one. I'll pray for that one. I'll pursue this one. I'll pursue that one. The hardest, the most incorrigible, you know, the guy you're thinking of right now, those were the ones that everybody else kind of hold back and be silent. Uh, what are you going to say? Put him down to me. That was his mission. No reserves. By the end of his senior year, 1,000, 1,000 out of the 1,300 students at Yale, where the professors didn't believe the Bible, 1,000 of those 1,300 students were in one of these groups meeting together for, for the Word of God and for prayer. Can one person, along with other people, along with other people, make a difference? Absolutely. No reserves. No holding back. We can pursue our friends for Christ. No reserves. I think of my time. I think of my day. I think of our week. Uh, it's easy. It's easy in today's busyness to have a, a Sunday compartmentalism kind of thing. You know, church is a, a Sunday thing. It's a, it's a Sunday morning thing. And then there's other time for family and there's other time for work. No. No reserves means I don't mark out a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there. No reserves means I give Christ my all in the midst of my work. I worship Christ. In the midst of school, I worship Christ. In the midst of family time, it's there in family, as family, encouraging one another that in that role, whether as child or adult, I worship and serve and honor Christ and how I live out that, that life with those who are around me. You know, we, we live in an age. We live in an age that has, has a, well, some call it a neo-narcissism. The, let's put it this way. Do you remember the every, tri every child gets a trophy generation? The every child, nobody, nobody doesn't win. Everybody's a winner. Everybody's a champion. Well, the every child gets a trophy generation has grown up. And they still believe it. I, I read a recent study that 25% of teens and college students, 25% of them are convinced they're going to be famous by the time they're 25. Now, I don't want to discourage you, but I wonder if that's a good goal. Think a minute about the people you know who are famous. Think about the famous. Think about the celebrities. Why are they famous? Because they've got it all together? Is it because they are making such a mark, because they are giving their life away, because they are demonstrating that which God has, has, has made us and called us for? Or are they so well-known because they are so dysfunctional that it's laughable? You know, we, we set before us the easy way. Oh, buy a, buy a lottery ticket. American Idol. You watch American Idol and you say, you're, you're pretty sure that could be me. A different set of circumstances, I could do that. You're watching Wheel of Fortune. You guess a couple of the phrases. Somebody else wins fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and you're sure I could have done that. We have a neo narcissism that is all about us, easily about us. Borden turned that around. Borden turned that upside down. We are called to turn that upside down. It is not about me. I will give myself away for the sake of Christ. Gordon took the less traveled path. He gave his ambitions away. No reserves asked the question, what will you risk? There's something you're holding back. It's for safety's sake. 
But what will you risk? Taking that stand of no reserves, nothing holds back, is what opens the door into what is ahead for you. So Borden continues in college. During college, second year in college, he attends a mission conference. Mission conferences are dangerous places. We're urging you to go, but be careful. Missions conferences are dangerous places. And this conference, it got a whole, it, it, it went back, it connected to previous life experience. It connected to some of those things that he saw and those Muslims gathered. And he was convinced that, that he needed to go. God was calling him to, the, to, to a northwest area of China with a predominantly Muslim population. They spoke Arabic in that area. Predominantly Muslim population in China that did not have any evangelical witness in it. That's where Borden was going to go. Second year of college, he knew that. Long about this time as well, Borden's father died. He has new responsibilities with his family. He and his brother are now responsible for the family estate. They're responsible for the family's wealth. Borden, the idealistic young man that he is, begins giving it away. Listen, it didn't hurt you. You still got your Cracker Jacks. People still got their milk in glass bottles. People still got their Cremora, later their instant coffee. The world didn't fall apart because Borden gave his money away. But he didn't just write checks. He didn't just give his money away. Oftentimes, when, the, when there was a need, he would quietly, without anybody knowing, he'd write a check and he'd, he, he would fund an entire ministry. Other times, he would pray and plead in prayer for a need that perhaps he could have financially met, but convinced that it wasn't about him. And it wasn't about his resources, but it was about God's resources. That he would trust God for the meeting these needs, and yet he would be personally involved. He's a very busy guy at Yale College. He was one of the student leaders. Obviously, he had influence on others by the impact that he made. And yet, oftentimes, he'd be alone or with a couple of buddies downtown among the streets of New Haven. They'd come across the, the drunk or the disabled, widows and orphans. And they would grab hold of them and take them to a diner or to a hotel, get them a, a warm meal, someplace to sleep. After a bit of that and seeing the need, he and a couple of buddies, they, they got together and they rented a cheap room at a place. They, they began to hold evangelistic meetings for those that were on the streets. And the New Haven, or the, or the Yale Hope, it was called, sorry, Yale Hope Mission was born. He was a man who, who didn't rest in, his, in resources that he had, but he gave himself. And that's where he made his impact. Actually, it wasn't in China, as we will see. But he carries on in, in college. He has a good time in college with the midst of many responsibilities and many things pulling at him. And yet, it comes to an end. In the midst of college, in the midst of that conference, even entering college, he was convinced God was calling him to mission. In that conference, he gets clearer direction. I'm to be a missionary in China. Now he graduates. He has his degree. He's from the right family. He's an intelligent young man. He's the most eligible bachelor in Chicago. He gets many promising and attractive job offers. Come join us in this enterprise. Come join us in that. Be an executive in this company. Take this position in your father's business. Easy attractions. Easy distractions. What's Borden going to do? It was then at the time when he determined he wasn't going to accept any of those offers. Knowing that, those offers turned down could easily be taken as an insult. To decline those offers now would mean that they would not 
to be available later. And yet he wrote in the back of his Bible after graduating, after having these offers roll in and these invitations to come here and go there, he wrote in the back of his Bible that second line that you find on the screen, no retreats. I'm intrigued that I find it again paralleled in Paul's story here in Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 12. Continuing to press on to that which God had called him to. Not that I've already obtained all this, he says. Not that I'm already made perfect. Again, Borden didn't boast in where he was, who he was, what he had done. Not that I have already arrived. You know, if you're still here, it's because you're not yet there. We've not arrived. We're not yet perfect. We're works in progress by God's grace. And yet, not that I've already obtained, I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I want to take hold of, I want to step into that which is Christ's intention for me, what is his purpose for me, why he has called me, why he has redeemed me, that I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has already set out, that I should walk in them, that I should walk in them. He says, I'm going to press after it. I am going to press on to take hold of it. I don't consider myself having yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That word press it's pressing toward a purpose. It's, 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 it's the same word that's used elsewhere for, for to persecute or to pursue or to drive out. It's a, it's a conflict. It's a hard work word. He says, I press on forgetting what lies behind. It's, it's the imagery of a runner straining like, like a sprinter in a race or even after a long marathon as he stretches toward that tape, straining with everything in his being. It's a race imagery. And you know when you race, you can easily turn around and look behind you. You can easily take your eyes, eyes off, the, off the goal, off the tape, and you can look at the other runners that are around you. But every turn backwards slows you down. Every time you take your, your eyes off of the goal, off of the finish line, you slow down. There's the potential to stumble. He says, no retreats. I will not look back. I will not look to the side. I will keep running past the distractions, past the lesser things, past those things that I might think that I'm entitled to. What is it that distracts you? Oh, it's a million things. It's piles of things each week. Maybe it's the, it's the thing that in the midst of the, maybe it's the busyness itself. Maybe it's the busyness of so many demands that seem so good, and many of them are that you can't hardly filter through them all and you can't give yourself to any of it, really. Maybe it's because you're so busy and you work so hard that you're also entitled just to rest a bit, aren't you? I have some days where I come home and I want to just sit in front of the TV and veg. And I wasn't thinking about, you know, this is a program that I really enjoy and and. I'm going to carve out some time to miss my day so I can enjoy that because that's a, that's a cool program. It provokes my thought and I enjoy that. It's, it's entertaining and no, 
I have some days where I just feel like I deserve to veg. I'm entitled to it now. And I'm going to veg. It doesn't matter what's on. The TV can just reach out and grab me by both ears and it's got me because I'm entitled to it. Or maybe it's just idle web surfing where you start not even knowing where you're going, but it's just, this is my decompressed time. This is my me time. Be careful about me time that I'm entitled to because if in that pursuit, it may be surfing or gaming that is really harmless in itself. It may not be. Not knowing where you're going when you start, you easily can end up in the place you end up in the place where you did not mean to, or intend to, or want to. But there's another side of it. Even before it gets into the harmless, harmful, where you shouldn't be. What about just the concept that I need to self-medicate myself after my draining day? I'm not talking about rest to be able to continue to pace yourself and keep going. But if we have a sense of entitlement that I deserve this because of what I've done, the focus is on me rather than on, on the goal. The focus is on me rather than on the prize. The focus is on me and what I need rather than Christ and his call upon me. I don't have to look after myself. My Lord will look after me. No retreats means I will keep pressing on past distractions. No retreat means I will keep going through discouragement. Don't you easily compare your race to somebody else? Why is their race easier than mine? Why is their route not as steep as mine? Not as hard of a climb? Why is that? That's not fair. And it begins to work at me. But God hasn't been fair to me. God hasn't been right with me. Guys, I know there's a football game on today. I'll try not to go too long. But let's say the team is down two touchdowns. It's a two-minute warning. Is it possible? Can it be done? Can it be won? Has it been done? Yes, it has. <laughs> I hope we're not in that situation today. But it can be done, and a team, a good team, never quits at that two-minute mark. They keep going. They keep pressing. They will not be discouraged by the circumstance at hand. They will keep pressing toward the goal that is set before them. So it is with you and I. I'll not be discouraged. I will not retreat. I will press on toward the prize, the prize of the upward call. If I could sum up the prize... It's in that word, present. The prize is present. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. First of all, to be called up. It's, it's an image out of the races again. To be called up onto the award stand and there to hear those words from the Lord himself, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not just praise. It's enter into the joy of your Lord. Because I have learned and I have grown my capacity to know Christ, living by faith in this life of opposition, I more fully enter into the joy of my Lord who laid everything aside for me. Well done, faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. But it's not just that. You know, another place, Paul asked the question, what is our prize? What is our crown? What will be our eternal joy? Is it not you in the presence of Christ with us? 
Part of Borden's cries was those 150 freshmen. Part of Borden's cries were those 1,000 other Yale students by his senior year who were also pressing after the calling that God had put on their lives. The friends that he pursued for Christ and would enter into glory alongside him. Our joy, our prize is the person you're thinking about now. The person that you want to know Christ as you do. The person that you want to pursue for Christ. The person that you would give your own life for if they could know Christ. I'm not asking you to give your life for them. Give yourself. Give yourself to them that they might know Christ. We run for the prize. No retreats pressing after. In 1912, Borden completes seminary. He departed for the field. He departs for the field via Egypt. He doesn't go directly to China. He first goes to Egypt because there he's going to fine-tune his Arabic that he studied a little bit in, in, in college and, and in seminary. But he's going, to, he's going to carry on further. He's going to improve his Arabic. And he also intends in going to, to, to Egypt. He wants to learn good methods of engaging with and evangelizing Muslim people so that he can do the same when he gets to China. There's already mission work established in Egypt, so he goes there first. And he doesn't just go to, to, to join into the college there and to learn in the books. No, you find him again, even as he did at college, you find him again on the street. You find him peddling about the city, handing out these pamphlets that had been prepared in an Egyptian Quranic style that was popular among the people, handing out pamphlets, talking to people, engaging them, telling them about Christ. He does this for three months. After three months, Borden gets sick. He has spinal meningitis. Now, six years earlier, in 19, prior to 1906, 90% of the people who had spinal meningitis died. In 1906, a Swiss doctor determined that you could take the virus, you could inject it into a horse, and then you could get antibodies from the horse and inject that into the patient, and many patients survived. So there was a new treatment available. And somebody of Borden's stature, when he was sick, antibodies could be obtained. He was treated for about the next month. But a month later, William Borden, to the surprise of America, William Borden, the heir to the Borden estate, had died in Egypt. When he left Chicago, the newspapers again decried, what a waste. And now they, here he is, the most promising of, of our citizens, throws his life away for the, one of the lowest, meanest parts of the Orient. And now he never even gets there. But he dies along the way. God, what are you doing? How can this be? Was that really God's purpose? Was that really God's plan? Borden knew that's what people would think. He knew that's what people would say. It's easy for us to imagine, and oftentimes we're not far off of what people will say about us. But a couple of days before his death, Borden writes in his Bible, no regrets. No regrets. Dying at age 25, and this young man can genuinely say, writing down in a Bible that he took to be the Word of God, no regrets. He looked at others who would live a longer, seemingly successful life. And yet he knew, as Philippians 3 says, their destiny is destruction. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
Our citizenship is in heaven from where we eagerly wait for a Savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. If that be true, what regrets can there be? And yet still, oh, there's, there, there's something nagging in your mind, isn't there? He was only 25. He was only 25. He had so much promise. He had so much life yet to live. Why would God take his life at age 25? That's because we, we value life, well, as best we know how, which is by the length of it as well as the substance of it. But our present mortal life, in compared to eternity, which is what Borden saw stretching before him, our life compared to eternity is like the preface compared to a well-written novel. Okay? Have you ever known a good book that was judged to be a good book by the length of its preface? No. No. That introductory preface that sets the stage, that gives you some background, that gets you into the story and what the story is for? No, the length of the preface doesn't determine the, the, the quality of the story, the measure of the story. And yet, you don't cast aside the preface. We don't lightly esteem this life. You don't cast aside the preface. If you do, you'll get into the story yet missing much that you should have known in advance getting into it that you would have got in the preface. This life is our preface. This life is our time. This is a time, as I've said before, that we have the opportunity to learn what it is to live by faith. We will not in the future. We will not in heaven live by faith. We will not then have the opportunity to worship God not knowing. I don't know how. I don't know why, and yet though he slay me, Job says, yet will I trust him. That's a moment of faith that we have opportunity for here, that we will not have opportunity in eternity. I will trust him. In the midst of life, I can have no regrets. You know, the lesson is not to be learned so much from Borden. In fact, I would suggest the lesson is not so much to be learned from the Apostle Paul. The lesson is to be learned from Christ himself. Where did Borden get it? Maybe he got it from Paul. Where did Paul get it? I'm certain he got it from Christ. Turn back a chapter in Philippians to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. And he begins to unpack that in verse 6 and 7. That Jesus, being in very nature God, talk about being wealthy, he did not consider his equality with God a thing to be clung on to, but he made himself nothing in the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. He emptied himself. No reserves. Our Savior took on humanity, stepped down from glory into this broken world, and written over his life is no reserves. The Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then it goes on in verse 8. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, He then, being formed in likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death, even the death of the cross. No retreats. 
the gospel in the, in the gospel of Luke. It says at one point as Jesus is journeying toward Jerusalem where he will die on that cross, it says he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. No retreat from the purpose that God had set before him. What about the third step? Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before all eternity, there will never be any regrets that the Son of God himself, life was poured out at the young age of early 30s. What a waste! He had so many more years of good teaching, so many more years of miracles and ministry, and yet his own life taken early. No regrets. No regrets. He brought many sons to glory by trusting himself to the Father who does all things well. In Cairo, Egypt, an older section of town, there's an American cemetery. And in that cemetery, there's a large marker, memorial stone, and on that stone, in part, it reads this. A man in Christ, he arose and forsook all and followed him. Kindly affection with brotherly love, fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, instant in prayer, communicating to the needs of the saints, in honor preferring others. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such there's no explanation for it apart from faith in Christ. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense depending on what we measure life by. I want to measure my life not by what I reserve for myself, not by what I retreat from and step away from, not by what I later look back in old years and regret. I want to measure by life, by a closeness to Christ, having pressed after him and thus being used by him. And while I was used by him, walking with him, there in those moments to know him. That's what you want. That's why you're here. And that's why he has placed us here. That as we go there, wherever there is, we might in going know him. The measure of life is not by the circumstances we, we, we've seen, but how Christ is seen and worshipped in them. We're going to have a song that describes this. And while, while, while Jim is singing this special, I want you to think about are there reserves? Are there retreats? What would you like by God's grace to step into so that you as well could mark down and it could be said for you in this life, by God's grace, no regrets? He's put something before you. He's put someone before you. Think about that and how you would answer that call.
had called to them he said come follow me and became a reckless abandoned recruit empty nest lying there on the water's edge told a story that few could believe and none could explain how some crazy fishermen would go to where Jesus had led with no thought of what they would gain. But Jesus had called them by name and they answered, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all for the sake of the call. sake of the core, devoted to live and to die for the sake of the core. Gone like drawn to the sea there's no turning back for the waters cannot help but flow once we hear the Savior's call we follow wherever he leads because of his love he has shown because he has called us to go we will answer will we sake of the call no other reason at all for the sake of the call will we abandon it all for the sake of the call no other reason at all for the sake of the call holy Not for the sake of a creed or a cause, not for yeah, a dream yeah. or a promise, but simply because it is Jesus who called. And if we believe, we'll obey, we'll obey. sake of the call. 
mentioned we're having two baptisms this morning and these young men that have come this morning to be baptized they they come in that same in that same mind they come to declare their faith in Christ his death for them and they come as well to declare their desire their intention to hold no reserves to enjoy no retreat, to have no regrets in living in Christ's new life. Ryan McKinney. Yeah, come down here. Nick, um, I've had the privilege of knowing Nick through the youth group for the last couple years. And uh, he started coming here a couple years ago with his girlfriend, which is often the reason that young men will come to youth group. And um, when he first came here, he was an unbeliever. And it was a uh, really cool for me to see that through this church, through the people around him, uh, to see him come to Christ. And I'll uh, let him tell you more about that. So, Nick, why do you want to be baptized today? Like Brian said, I came here a non-believer, and I really listened to the words that the pastors were preaching and the words that they were singing, and I felt really in touch and inspired, and I just felt like that there was something I was missing my whole life, but I never knew what it was. And I finally decided that I wanted to be saved and I needed the love of Jesus. And I feel like the reason I'm doing this is because I want to give Jesus the love that I could never give him before and the love that he had for me all along and I never saw. Okay, Nick. By your profession of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You were buried with Christ in his death. And you were raised to new life in Jesus. Will you guys join me now? I'm praying for Nick. Dear God, I thank you the wonderful gift you have given us. Your sacrifice has given us more than we could ever hope for. 
I'm thankful today that Nick has made that decision to follow you and has declared and has declared that in front of your church. I pray that you would walk with him in this journey he has ahead of him and that we as a church could come alongside of him and help support him in this lifelong decision. Thank you for all you have done for us. Amen. Okay, now Christopher F. I've had the chance um, to know him for a long time. I was one of his Sunday school teachers when he was in pre-K and uh, have seen him here ever since. Um, but I really got to know him more when he uh, started coming to the junior high youth group about a year and a half ago. And uh, I can tell you, he's a fun guy uh, and he knows how to, to have fun. Uh, we have a lot of fun together. But one thing I also noticed about him was that when we did get serious, those times when we did uh, uh, learn about God, when we talked about God, is that he could get serious too. And uh, he really knew what it meant to be a Christian. So Chris, uh, we've talked about it, but why don't you tell the church why you want to be baptized today? Okay. Hi, my name is Chris, and when I was in pre-K, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. Back then, I understood the basics of how Jesus died for us and took the blame of our sins so that we could go to heaven. And now I more fully understand how he did all these amazing things for us. So I'm here today to show you all that I've accepted Jesus into my heart and that I love Jesus with all my heart. By your profession of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You were buried with Christ in his death, and you were raised to new life with Jesus. Why don't you join me in praying for Chris? Dear God, salvation and eternal life are truly the most wonderful gift we could receive, and yet you have given it to us freely. Thank you. And also thank you for Chris and this decision he has made. Nothing is more important than the decision to follow you, as well as to show the church that he has made that decision. I pray, Father, that we can take Chris's testimony and support him in that decision he has made, walking with him into the future, just as you have promised you will do for us. Guide him and direct him in all his ways. In your name, amen. worship team is going to come forward with one one more closing closing song it's a, a song that speaks to the fact that we're not home yet we continue we continue to serve the lord by faith we need to walk in faith we're not home yet but we press on to that upward call we're also going to receive this morning's offering at this time and i want to as the ushers come forward i want you to invite you that use those communication cards. An offering comes by. We're going to give something out of what God has blessed us with. That's a, that's a part of our lives that we give back to God. But there's perhaps something else that God's put on your heart today. Perhaps there's something else that, that you felt, this is an area of no reserves, no retreats for me so that I'll have no regrets. That uh, if you want to uh, make a declaration or if there's something you'd like us to be praying for you about, Jot that down on that card and put it in the offering as that comes by. Present yourself to the Lord this morning. Join me in prayer. Father, we give ourselves to you. And because we give ourselves to you, we, Lord, give that which you've given to us back to you. Lord, we ask that you would use it. We ask that you would use it in the pursuit of those who need Christ. 
We, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to pursue us by your grace in our lives for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Sometimes it feels like I'm watching from the outside in. Sometimes it feels like I'm breathing, but I am alive. I, I'm searching for answers that aren't hard to find. And all I know is I'm not him yet. This is not where I belong, take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. So when the walls come falling down on me, and when I'm lost in the current of a raging sea, I have this blessed assurance holding me. And all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus, this is not where I belong. And when the earth shakes, I want to be found in you. When the lights fade, I want to be found in you would you stand with me please you and all i know is i'm not home yet this is not where i belong take this world and give me jesus this is not where i belong and all i know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Where I belong. Where I belong, when I belong, where I belong. The line in that song, when the earth shakes, maybe that's how it feels. Or when the light fades. Is it looking dark? You don't see where light could be. The song says, I want to be found in you. I want to be found being held, Lord, by you. If you're not sure how that could be true, or maybe you've identified something with what Nick said or Chris said, that I've heard some of this before, but I want to make better sense of it, that I can know that I believe in him and 
my God, Jesus, my Savior, holds me. We'd love to talk to you about that this morning. Stick around just as the service now ends. Maybe talk to one of our elders over here on the side. Catch me in the back. But, but don't go on not knowing. Leave here this morning knowing the one who holds you in his own hand. And then you too can go into the world with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. The Lord bless you. Good morning.